Well, I'm excited to jump into what we're talking about today. My name is Brian Jones, senior pastor here, and I would love to meet you afterwards. Those of you who are brand new, and we especially want to greet those of you who are watching online. We know virtually everyone nowadays will will view our services online well before they ever visit. So we look forward to meeting you at some point soon. I want to share this morning to kick us off um, um, the greatest piece of marriage advice for husbands I have ever heard in my life. So I'll share it, and then you tell me if, in fact, this is the greatest piece of marriage advice, guys, you've ever heard in your life. Last summer, I'm at my friend John's house. He's having a graduation party. Um, John and I have been friends for a long time. They've been coming to CCV for years. And I was telling John all, all the stuff I was doing to the house and why I was so super stressed and getting our kids off to college. I, I told him, I'm just exhausted. He said, you know what you need to do? You need to do what I did when our two girls went off to college. He said, you know, I was like running around doing stuff all the time. And once they went off to college, I came home and declared, you know what? This next year is going to be the year of John. It's all going to be about me. I was like, well, what does that mean? He said, honestly, for the next 365 days, whatever I wanted to do, I was going to do it. He said, so let's just say you want to go to a game and she doesn't think it's a great idea. Doesn't matter. Year of John. (laughs) You want to go fishing? She has stuff she wants you to do around the house. Doesn't matter. Get the poles. You're going fishing. Year of John. You want to go out with the guys? Year of John. I said, but what if he said, no, 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 you don't understand. Year of John. Get it in your head. I said, you're telling me. If you came home and you said, I'm sick of driving this minivan to take these kids everywhere, I'm going to go get myself a sports car. He said, of course, year of John. I said, that's brilliant. Why didn't I think of that? He said, listen, you don't understand. Don't you think you deserve a year where it's all about you? Listen, I'm a pastor. I've been teaching on serving and putting other people first for years. You know what I said. I looked at him and said, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely, it's time. So I got my speech ready on the way home. I came into the house. I said, woman, here's what we're doing. (laughs) Next next year, the year of Brian. Anything I want to do, I'm going to do it. Now, guys, I want you to lean over and I want you to share with your wives, or wives, I want you to share with anybody that's around you, or just ladies in general, I want you to share what you would have said if your loved one came home and shared that with you. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. Hear me out. Obviously, we have some very definitive ideas of how we would respond. Now, this is going to surprise you. Lisa did not get excited about the idea. (laughs) Something about how she's worked full-time for 29 years and with three kids and 28 of those of 29 of them. I did everything around the house and you didn't do anything. And now that for one year I'm working on my doctorate, you have to chip in. Every time you pick up a load of laundry, You want me to stand up and applaud like you came back in the fourth quarter to win the Super Bowl. Way to go. I'm like, yeah, so, Brian, how'd you do it? How did you do it this week, Brian? You know, it's been a stressful week for you at work. It's been a stressful time, but you managed to do it all, and you came home and you did one load of laundry. How did you do it? 
While Gemma was touch and go there for a while, lights, darks, mediums, towels. So first thing I want to do is I just want to tell you and everybody watching at home, millions across America, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus. Because without him, Brian, people are starting to use the word hero to describe you. How do you respond to that? Listen, Jim, am I a hero? I understand why people would want to call me that, but all I did was see a laundry basket that was full of my clothes, and I stepped in to help. Any of us can be a hero at any time. Actually, when I brought it up, she didn't even, she didn't say any of that stuff. It was funny. She was uh, sitting down looking through the newspaper, and I said, this year is going to be the year of Brian. Anything I want to do, I'm going to do it. Pause. She turns the page without skipping a beat and said, honey, let's be honest. Every year for the last 29 years has been the year of Brian. No, no, there's no clapping there. There's no clapping. There's no clapping. So I just want to say two things. First, thanks a lot, John, wherever you are, all right? But second, there's more truth to that than we realize, meaning... Not just for me, but for all of us in this room watching online. Listen, we we all want to make just this year, but not even just this year, every year, the year of John, the year of Brian, the year of Rachel, Emma, James, Robert, Susan, Karen, Mary. We all want to make this year all about us because we deserve it and life is hard. And dang it, we're going to do whatever we need to do to make us happy. Well, we're in the second week of this series we're calling the happiness challenge. And last talk, we, we talked about how there are two radically different versions of our lives. If you weren't here, please go back and watch that online, and we'll catch you up to speed. 99% of our lives are lived in what we called last week the monotonous daily grind, right? This is our everyday life that is just a normal, regular everyday. But because we occasionally experience moments of incredible awesomeness, Every once in a while, we're like, we want some more of that, like every day. We want, we want experiences of beauty and magic and wonder. We want to make every year the year of Jessica. And there's this idea in our culture that we're taught that if you want to be happy, you need to follow your bliss. You need to do what is actually going to make you happy. Only do, focus on more of those things and get rid of from your life all of the other things that don't make you happy. And There's absolutely nothing wrong with experiencing mountaintop experiences like we talked about last week, but planning, banking on, and orchestrating one moment of awesomeness after another does not make you genuinely happy. In fact, it makes it worse. So the question is, what does make someone genuinely happy? We're going to talk about that today, the first thing, and then next week we're going to talk about the second thing. The first thing is this. Genuinely happy people force themselves to believe hard things. Now, I want you to write down those two words, hard things, because motivational speakers and happiness experts all across the country have ruined for all of us the word happiness. Happiness experts have convinced us that happiness is a feeling of well-being you can attain without any character transformation at all. You don't need to change at all in order to be happy. If you want to be happy, all you need to do is engage in activities that stimulate the neurotransmitter 
dopamine in your brain. Remember dopamine from our high school biology class. On one hand, dopamine is essential. Dopamine from one area of the brain helps begin movements and speech. Without it, bad things happen like Parkinson's disease. But dopamine has another function. It tells the brain that what you just did is awesome and to do more of it and to want more of it. Dopamine, let's just say, is the Kim Kardashian of the brain's neurotransmitters. Plays a major role in addiction and trying to break bad habits. Doing hard things that build character do not initially give you a dopamine boost. You don't do something and your brain's like, that was sweet, let's do that again. It's like, let's avoid that. And that's what we're interested in. Genuinely happy people force themselves to do things that unhappy people do not. And the first thing is, they force themselves to believe hard things that they don't want to believe. Let me ask you, how are you doing in this area? Are there areas of your life where you realize, honestly, you're, just, you're, for, you're, you're pushing it down and you don't want to admit it? Theoretical physicist Richard Feynman said, the first principle is that you must not fool yourself, and you are the easiest person to fool. Genuinely happy people don't lie to themselves. They accept reality as it is. They look at their past, their decisions, and their current circumstances, and they don't sugarcoat things. 3,000 years ago, the prophet Jeremiah said this, the heart is deceitful above all things. And what he's talking about is that we human beings have a default switch in our soul that it's automatically set to self-deception. Let me repeat this. Human beings have a default switch in our soul that is automatically set to self-deception. And when you get to the core of what makes us human... It's that we tell ourselves stories and lies to avoid what psychologists call cognitive dissonance, the cognitive dissonance of pain and regret and shame. We would rather be blissfully self-deceiving ourselves to get through life than to acknowledge what our life has truly been and what it's been like. So the reason unhappy people are unhappy is they've never reset the default switch. That's why over and over in the Bible you will read, do not deceive yourselves. Have you ever read the Bible? And you come across that phrase? It's everywhere. Do not deceive yourselves. Do not deceive your... Listen, in this situation, don't deceive yourself. When this happens, don't deceive yourselves. It's everywhere. And it's because God has to get into us this idea that very early in life we learn two things about human beings in this fallen, broken world that we live in. Number one, life is beautiful, precious, and fraught with staggering amounts of heartache. Most of it caused by our own choices. As Seinfeld choked kids, if you want to know what it's like out there, it's all gutters. That's not far from the truth. Initially, until you deal with the gutters. See, the second truth is this. Lying to ourselves protects us from experiencing more pain. I'll never forget, well, I was a pastor at a, I was a small group pastor. Did what Terry Stone does here. Uh, I'm down at this church, and I, the first thing I did is I went around and I said, well, we're in, we're in Florida, so there's an older congregation. 
how can I meet their genuine needs? What's, what's going on? So I started talking to people, realized because there were a lot of people that have lost loved ones, that it would be very helpful to provide a support group for people who can go through grief recovery. So I hired a great, great doctor to come and lead this group, announced it on Sunday, completely filled it up, filled it up immediately. And I was really sad because my, my friend Mary that I knew didn't sign up. So I called her up on the phone to tell her, hey, Mary, this group is filled up, but I can get you in because I'm the pastor. I'll just, I'll, I'll just make another room. We'll throw another chair in there. So I called her up, and I said, hey, Mary. Now, I don't know about you, but every time I talk to someone, because she was from Mississippi, every time I talk to someone that has a southern accent, I start talking in a southern accent. I start channeling my inner Matthew McConaughey. I don't know why I'm doing this. Mary, how are you, Mary? So I call her up the phone. Hey, Mary, this is Brian from church. How are you? And she said, hey, I'm doing great, Brian. How are you? I said, hey, Mary, I don't know if you saw the announcement I made on Sunday, but we're starting a grief recovery support group. And as soon as I said that, bam, hung up the phone. And I'm thinking, I just, oh, we got disconnected. I'll just call her right back. So I call her right back. I'm like, hey, Mary, this is, bam, hung up. I'm like, crazy old woman. Are you kidding me? I went through this 10 times, no exaggeration, 10 straight times, and it eventually became a game. I just called her back. She hung up, yeah, I called her back. Come on, call her back, I called her back. Eventually, she sees, me, she sees me at church on Sunday. She said, I'm sorry for hanging up on you, Brian. And I said, Mary, you know I love you, right? She said, I, I, yeah, I know you love me. I said, so what I'm about to tell you is going to be hard to hear, but you need to know it's coming from a place of love. Your husband died 15 years ago, didn't he? I said, you know that thing where they talk about the stages of grief, the very first stage is denial? I said, my hunch is, Mary, is that the day he died, you have not touched any of the stuff that he set out. And she looked straight down to the ground. I said, Mary, this group's going to help you because until you change, until you move past this, you're never going to heal. And then she said, I don't want to talk about my man in a group of people. And I said, why? And she said, because I'm afraid if I, if I actually move past this, I'll forget what his voice sounds like. I want you to think, for those of you who are madly in love with someone, how hard it would be to, to forget what their voice sounds like. Listen, there's a reason Brennan Manning says, that which is denied cannot be healed. We started that group. It was packed. It was supposed to go eight weeks. And I, went to, I went and I told him, I was like, listen, I know this is, the, this is your last day because we can't keep going. And it was like they had a revolt on their hand. 85-year-olds pulling out Uzis. You're not taking this room? Come on, give me the room back. This room, or this, this group went on for months and months and months and months. Two people got married. Their lives were transformed except Mary's. Because she was not willing to tell herself the truth. Listen, this is not just about forcing ourselves to believe things that happen to us or that are happening to us. This is also about decisions that we've made, people we've hurt, addictions we have, character flaws that we've let go on challenge. Situations are things that we've allowed other, ourselves or our families or people we love to be a part of stuff. One of the scariest verses in the entire Bible Revelations chapter 3, verse 17. Jesus is speaking to people like you and me. Cultural situation, a lot like ours. He said, listen, 
You say, he's speaking to these people, you say I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. Like, you are happy. If I did a happiness survey, you would say, I'm happy. He said, but you do not realize that you are actually wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You've deceived yourselves. Now, I know every person in this room and watching online, you're immediately thinking, yeah, there's that person that's an alcoholic. Doesn't have the ability to tell themselves the truth. And until they can own it, they're not going to be able to move past. No, actually, I'm talking to everyone here. What's way more likely to occur is not that alcoholic person. It's those of us in this room who need to look, us, look ourselves in the mirror. We look ourselves in the mirror and we're like, our kids are doing great. No, your kids are actually not doing great. I mean, don't get me wrong. Your kids are great. Like, but your kid needs help right now. And you're like, this is a phase. They're going to grow. Wow, whatever. They're no different than anyone else. Stop lying to yourself. You look in the mirror. We have a great marriage. What, what would Jesus say if he walked behind you? He would look behind, look at you. And for a lot of you, I've got to be honest. He would say... No. No. Because here's the thing. People who actually have good marriages don't talk that way. When was the last time you talked you talk to someone that's a trainer that just like works hard at the gym and they're like, man, I've arrived. They never talk that way. You talk to someone who actually has a good marriage, they're very open. They're very forthcoming with what they're wrestling with and what their struggles are and what they're working on. That's why they have a happy marriage. Look in the mirror. My weight's fine. Our finances aren't that bad. A lot of you are like, I'm a Christian. No, you're not. You're not a Christian. Kierkegaard said this, there are two ways to be fooled. One is to believe what isn't true. The other is to refuse to believe what is true. And nobody, the reason nobody wants to do this, the reason nobody wants to tell themselves the truth, and we all do it, it's because we do not want to open up a suck fest of pain. We're like, i got to be honest, I'm already stressful. My life is hard. The last thing I want to do is cause more stress for, my, for myself. We're like this guy right here. We're like this guy. <laughs> Who's excited about more pain? This guy. I'm excited, right? A lot of you are new, and you're asking the person who brought you, I thought this series was about happiness. What is what's happening? There's a 29-year raging battle at the Jones household that I need your help settling. I need your help settling, okay? Here it is. This has been going on for 29 years. It's over at what temperature? We should keep the thermostat at night. We're the only ones that, that have this little tiff going on. Maybe you can settle this. I want you to raise your hands if you believe you sleep better at night if you keep the thermostat slightly cooler. If you believe that, raise your hand. Look around. Look around at all the hands up. What is wrong with you people? <laughs> Jesus said in the Gospel of John, nothing below 70. Look it up. 
She says, everyone will tell you, you sleep better. And she's like, she wants to get, let's just keep it at 68. I'm like, nothing below 70. We're not going there. End of discussion. She's like, everyone will tell you, you sleep better when you keep it quiet. Like, who, who are these unnamed masses of people? Everyone is code for people who post cat videos on Facebook and love watching The Bachelor. Don't listen to those people. Come on, Ari. Crystal doesn't love you. She's playing you like a fiddle. So I hear. Anyway, it's much easier to argue over who gets to control. It's much easier to argue over who gets control of the thermostat than to look myself in the mirror and admit admit over a 30-year relationship that I'm almost always the person that gets their way. And that's painful to admit, but even more painful to change. Take a look at these pictures. Every single one of us starts out in life given two paths of how we're going to live our lives. The first path is the road most traveled. This is where you can choose to lie to yourself. The other path is where you force yourself to believe the truth, to own it, and acknowledge it. Now, here's the thing. These are the two paths that are presented to us when we're kids. All of the children in that other building over there are being presented in life two different choices. It's the choices we're all presented And the fact, everyone refuses to believe hard things about themselves when they're kids. That's what kids do. I didn't lose my paper. The dog ate it. I didn't want to hit him. My invisible friend told me to do it. Self-deception is a coping mechanism we used as kids to insulate ourselves from taking responsibility for our actions. But as the scriptures teach, there comes a time to put childish ways behind us. Every kid has to learn what all genuinely happy adults understand. And if you get nothing out of this talk, please understand this. Happiness is always found on the other side of pain. Happiness is always found on the other side of pain. You can't negotiate your way around it. You can't tunnel underneath it. You have to go through it if you want to experience genuine happiness. Here's the second picture. You have these two choices, and then you have immediate consequences when you make these decisions. For the road road most traveled, you lie to yourself, and then you immediately avoid pain. I got off. I can go on with my life. But for those of you who want to experience genuine happiness, there are immediate consequences, meaning you force yourself to believe the truth. Your life actually gets harder. That's why we talked last week, for those of you that have become Christians, a common thing I hear is, wait a minute, I became a Christian, and actually my life is more difficult now. What happened? I'm like, oh, nothing happened. You're in a good spot right now. This is just before the good stuff happens, you've got to go through the pain. What every unhappy person does is they take the, the easy route. They lie to themselves, they avoid the pain. 
At the end of Tolstoy's story, the death of Ivan Elich, the main character Ivan had taken the easy route his whole life, and he was, by all, all accounts, a very happy person. He had it all and did it all. But now he lies on his deathbed in this story, and the doctor arrives. And what happens is surprising. Elich refuses any pain medication, and he kicks the doctor out of his room, and he screams at him, I want to I fully experience the final minutes of my life. Tolstoy says this. He said it was true, as the doctor said, that Ivan Elich's physical sufferings were terrible, but worse than the physical sufferings were his mental sufferings, which were his chief torture. His mental sufferings were due to the fact that that night, the question suddenly occurred to him, what if my whole life has really been wrong? And then he adds, it occurred to him that what had appeared perfectly impossible before, namely that he had not spent his life as he should have done, might after all, be true. Here he was on his deathbed with clarity for the first time, and he realized the path that he has taken and what became of his life. And come to find out, Ivan Elich discovered, like a lot of people in this world are going to discover minutes before their death, that no, they're not actually happy. They are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked, just like Jesus said. The question is, is that going to be you? Are you going to say, enough with this route, I'm hopping on the other route. I don't care how tough it is. See, the way genuinely happy people die, and I will tell you, because I have been at the bedside of countless genuinely happy people when they die, as they die like this. The first path, you lie to yourself, you avoid pain, and you're happy, and you coast through life. All of the gut-wrenching conversations that you never had. All of the incredibly painful situations that you actually never addressed. And you just blissfully went through your life happy. One dopamine hit and peak experience after another. Genuinely happy people force themselves to believe the truth, which gives them more pain. But then on the other side of that, two things happen. They realize, I actually dealt with the problem. And usually it wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. And then my life actually improved. Can I tell you a common common conversation that happens with new people here at this church? I'll just use the example of marriage because the vast majority of people that come through the door will be married. On the outside, okay? This is a couple that has it all. Just like all, every, every, all, all the people that live in this area. Shiny, pretty, happy people. On the outside, they have friends. They do stuff together. But it honestly takes me about two seconds of prying to pull that off to realize, oh, holy crap, what is actually going on here? What is actually going on underneath this 
is actually the stuff we all go through. And the challenge as a pastor is simply to help them feel safe enough that you can just be yourself here. That you're no different than anyone here. That we're all going to do this together. And then those people that actually do that, that actually realize that happiness is always found on the other side of pain, so they're going to push right through it, those people get to the end of their lives, and when you go to their bedside, my gosh, it's like a church service. They're excited. Because they look back with very few regrets, and they're around people that they actually have real relationships with them, that actually care about them, because they put in the hard work, and it's a really, really cool experience. My hope and prayer is that you want that to be said about you, too. I know I do. So next week, we're going to talk about the other thing, about how actually doing this is actually a lot easier than it appears. Let's pray. Our God, we need you to help us not to run, to help us not to run back into the easy approach to avoid the pain. Every single person in this room, God, has through your Holy Spirit, whether they believe in you or not, your Holy Spirit brought up in their mind and in their heart things that they need to own, things that they need to address, things that they need to force themselves to believe. God, it's going to be very easy for us to walk out of this room and stuff it. So God, none of us are brave enough, none of us are strong enough. None of us certainly want more pain. But we do want to be whole, and we do want to experience what is best. And so God, it is our hope and it is our prayer that you would give us a heart that is bold and kind and is steadfast and that is strong because you are going to be with us and empower us every step of the way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, go to happinessable.com.